tonight, in between the ever-increasingly unfunny and uncreative commercials, there is actually a football game that's going to be played, and it is called the Super Bowl, and there are actually more Americans who will watch this game than voted in the last election, and it is actually one of the most watched events in all of the world, which means that millions of people are going to be watching tonight and have no clue what's going on. But they won't know. What's clear is that you have to have a strategy to win a game. And so uh, there, there's strategy. There's an offensive strategy, a defensive strategy. You have a game plan. You want to play to your strengths. You want to exploit the weaknesses of your opponent. This is, is what we know, and this is what is common sense. As far as offense goes... As far as offense goes, uh, there's different varieties of offense. And in fact, there may be no better indicator of the, the extremes of offense as WKU. The last few years, WKU, their idea was we're going to kill as much clock as possible. We're, we're going to run the ball and run the ball and have short passes. Our idea is that we're going to wear down the other teams so that in the second half they're tired and they can't stop us. Next year is going to be the complete opposite. The idea is to get as many plays in as possible, to hurry up, to throw the ball, and to try to wear down the defense by making them exude a lot of effort really quickly rather than over an extended period of time. Now, the goal is the same, to win the game, to wear down the other team. But there is one thing that these two ideas have in common, and it's this little sliver of the playbook called the two-minute drill. And this is what happens when time is running out and you need to score, whether that's before halftime or at the end of the game. And the idea is to hurry up. The idea is to go as fast as you can, to gain as many yards as you can as quickly as possible because once that time runs out, you don't get any more shots. This is it. So for those of you who don't know anything, just throw that out there tonight. Just say... This is the two-minute, make sure it's not like 12 minutes left to go, but say this is the two-minute drill. If you're wrong, people are going to say, well, at least they're trying. But if you're right, you will surprise them. Now, my goal today was not, well, it was kind of doing that, especially if you're coming to my house to watch that. But the idea today is, is this, is if we had to ask the question, what type of offense does the church run? There would be a lot of people who would say, well, I really don't think they ever get out of the huddle. And to, to be honest, they're, they're not entirely wrong. A lot of church, a lot of the church's people just gather and they don't do much. But I think if they did do something, the idea would be this, is they're just trying to kill time. They're just trying to kill time. They're just waiting for it to go to zero. They're, they're not really in a hurry. And the thing is that when you look through Scripture, you see that it's not that's not really what we're called to do. If anything, to keep with the illustration, we're called to do the two-minute drill, to have a sense of urgency, and to get a lot done before the clock runs out. Now, there's three strategies, or three ideas that go with a two-minute drill, and that's what we're going to follow along with today. Number one is you have to know the time. You have to know how much time is left on the clock. Good teams know that you cannot run 
this many plays in 40 seconds. You can run more plays if there's more time left on the clock, but the less time on the clock, the less plays you can run. So you have to know how much time you have to go and score. Now, when it comes to the church, and this isn't the best way to start a sermon, I know, but when you say to fill this in on your bulletin insert and then tell you, well, you can't do it, it's usually not a good start, but it's the truth. We need to know the time, but we have no idea how much time's left. I know, it's a really, really good start to a sermon. But what we can do is this, is we can look at Scripture and see, well, what does the Bible tell us about when the time's running out? What should we look for? And I know that there are symbols, and I know that there are debates, and everyone has their own thing on what this means and that means. And so that's why it's very important, I think, that when Scripture speaks plainly about an issue, we don't make it more complicated than it is, and we take it as what it says. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he he says this, But mark this. And so I I want you to mark this. I want you to either physically or in your mind check off which one of these apply to today. There will be terrible times in these last days, in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, check mark, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, double check mark for some of you here, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with these people. Now, I will acknowledge that there are times in the, in the world where this has applied. But I will also say this, that, that if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. And when the world right now fits that description more than ever before, we have to realize that the time's running out. That the clock is not going as slow as we think it is. And there's not as much time as we hope that there is. And that means this. And it means because time is running out, there has to be a sense of urgency in the church to do what we are called to do. We can't stay in the huddle. We can't just sit and twiddle our fingers and wait. There has to be action. In the Exodus, God comes down onto the tabernacle and he tells the Israelite people, he says that when the cloud is there, you do not move. But when I go, you go. And we have operated for a very long time as the church as if God just sits and hovers over the churches that we like and the churches that we go to. And and that's all that he does. And so we have to come here in order to be with him. But on the day of Pentecost, God came down in in the Holy Spirit. And when we are are saved and baptized, we receive that Holy Spirit. Which means this, that God knows that everywhere you go is important. God doesn't make wasted trips. God came to live inside of us because He knew that everywhere we go, He is to be with us. And when a special guest is with us, we know it's important. We have to be a people that 
know that the Spirit of God is inside of us and that everything is important and that the time is running out. And we have to be very, very urgent in what we do. So we have to know the time. We have to know that it's running out. The second thing is that we have to know the result. The best teams have the most confidence no matter how much time's on the clock. The best teams know that this is what we're going to do. They have the goal in mind, and they say that we're going to accomplish this. And in Second Peter, we see the result of what's going to happen to us. Peter says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, when is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And chances are, when I started talking about the time running out, there's a lot of you who defaulted to this. Jesus hasn't come yet. Why would he come now? Why would he choose now? And this is what they say. They said, or this is what Peter says about when we think this. He says, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heaven by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of what? Righteousness. Where righteousness dwells. Let's contrast for a second the world that we live in, full of wickedness and pain and abuse and sadness, and let us see what God promises us, a place where righteousness dwells. Make no mistake, God wins. God wins. In Numbers, uh, the Israelites were, go figure, complaining, and they said... God, uh, we've tried every recipe. We have tried every mixture. We've tried mixing manna with this and that, and we are tired of eating manna. We are so tired of eating manna. And so God says a couple of my favorite lines in Scripture. Number one, because this is probably how I would respond to He says, okay, I will give you this meat. I will give you quail, and you're going to have so much of it. It's going to come out of your nostrils. 
That's what God says, and I love that about him. And he says, this is how much you're going to get. Now, Moses is there, and Moses is really smart, and, and he says, God, you realize how many people are here? And it's never good to ask God how many people are there when he knows the number of hairs on each of their heads. And so he says, God, do you realize how many people are here? If we killed all the livestock, there may not even be enough of that to feed these people. And then God says something that, that has really shaped a lot of, of my thinking here lately. He says, are my arms too short? Are my arms too short? Do you think... This is out of my reach. And he says, I will do what I say I'm going to do. And when we look at the world around us, we act as if God's arms are too short. We think that certain things are beyond his reach and that his promises aren't going to be fulfilled because the world we live in now is so very different from the world that he knew back in, in the early New Testament. Folks, God's arms are not too short. He does what he says he's going to do, which means that the result of everything is that God wins. And because we belong in him, we win too. But the thing is, we walk around like losers. When legislation is passed and agendas are, are, are put forth, we hang our heads in defeat. When the world continues to get corrupt and things go against God, we just sit and we pout. And we forget that we are not losers. We are on the winning side. God wins. There was no better feeling before I became a washed up for, former athlete than taking the field or, or getting on the court and knowing that your sixth best could beat the other team's very best and that you were going to win. Or when the result was no longer in doubt, the feeling that you're going to win. When we were going to win, there was no this. There was no kicking the dirt. There was celebration. Folks, we win because God wins. And so if we know that the clock is ticking down and we know that God wins when it does, the question is, what do we do in the meantime? And so we have to know the strategy. Peter continues. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, looking forward to what God winning, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. And then uh, Peter decides to, to defend Paul for a little bit. And then he finishes with this. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, know that we win. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Two things. For strategy. First, the best teams run the best two-minute drills. Right? And they know the strategy. They know what they have to do. And so the two things we have to do that, that Peter says here is number one, we have to quit 
putting off our relationship with God. And a lot of this is going to go along with what Weston really did a great job with uh, last week. Quit putting off your relationship with God. Do you realize how holy the church is going to be tomorrow? Because tomorrow is the day that we quit doing this or that. Tomorrow is the day we're going to start reading our Bible more. And tomorrow is the day that we're going to start praying more. Tomorrow is the day that we're going to quit looking at pornography. Tomorrow is the day that we're going to quit gossiping. Tomorrow is the day that we're going to get right with God. And the thing is that tomorrow never comes for us. But here's the thing, is that when that clock strikes zero, tomorrow as we know it will never come. And there will be no more tomorrow. And that all that's going to matter is what happened today. Folks, we can no longer continue to put off our relationship with God. We have to have a sense of urgency to get right and get in his blessing. What does Peter say that we should be in the last days? Spotless and blameless. He says that in the last days, people are going to come. The lawless are going to come. They're going to try to sway you from this firm position that you should stand on. Does that sound familiar? And he says, do not let them do it. Stand firm where you are. Stay in God. But remember this. That the Lord's patience means salvation, which means if you've been saying tomorrow for a long time, today is here for you. Quit putting off your relationship with God. And the second one is this. Quit putting off reaching others for the salvation that awaits them. As holy as we'll be tomorrow is also as much of the, the greatest evangelist ever we will be tomorrow because tomorrow is always the day we're going to reach out to that coworker, and tomorrow's always the day that we are going to have enough knowledge to stand up against that person who's trashing god's name tomorrow will be the day that we stand up and say enough with slavery or enough with injustice or enough with with innocent children dying Tomorrow will be the day we stand up for injustice. And once again, tomorrow never comes. What we have to realize is there has to be a sense of urgency for us to live in the moment we are in with the urgency that God is waiting patiently for all his children to know him. God isn't just sitting up there playing angry birds and minding his own time. God is patiently waiting for his children to come home. In Hosea, chapter 3, uh, Hosea is a very interesting book. God tells a prophet, Hosea, to go and marry a prostitute for a wife, and it goes as well as you think it would go. And the, the wife goes away, and the wife continues doing what she's always done. And then in Hosea 3, God is making the transition from making Hosea live this to showing him this is why I'm doing this. It says, Hosea says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves Israel, or the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, about a homer and a lithic of barley. That, by the way, is the price of a slave. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stone, without ephod or idol, 
Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing when? In the last days. When the clock begins to run out, God's people come back to him. And the greatest news for us is that invitation is there for all of us. If we've been swayed by the lawless, the invitation is to come back. If we thought we've gone too far, God says, no, you haven't. And if we say that we don't know enough to reach other people, God says, I've given you my spirit, and that's enough. We don't know how much time's left on the clock, but we know it's ticking down. We don't know the exact details on how God's going to do what he's going to do. We just know that his arms are not too short and that he will. But the one thing we do know is that there's no more important day than today. And so if today's the day that you need to come and get right back on that place that God has for you, we invite you to come forward. If today is the day that you need a body of believers to to stand and support you, we invite you to come and, and belong here. But no matter what, today is the day. Today is the day that you can get back to where you need to be. Guys, let us not be in the huddle anymore. And let us not just sit, wait. Let's go. Let's do what we were called to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for being patient. We know we've messed up. We, we know that we've erred. We know that we continue to do so. But God, we know that you're able, that you're faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would today bring home those who need to know you and that the hearts of those here would be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and listen.